Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Thank you for joining me again. This is Kayla. I am Kayla, and I hope your day has been fantastic. If not, you came to the right place because this is Black True Crime. Hey guys, thank you again for coming back and tuning in. I am very grateful. (laughs) So today I want to start off kind of reiterating something that I already have typed and have said. This podcast is not for everyone and I just want to be clear about that. I got my first like bad review, whoop whoop. And the person was basically saying that I'm I wasn't respecting the victims and they were distracted by my slurred speech and my sloppiness, which I can understand that. I can get that. So I came with my ducks in a row today. So thank you for that. But on the respect part, I am super, super respectful and but I'm also candid. So I made this podcast so I could talk about these people who aren't really being talked about, but also I want to be myself. So that's always going to be a part of this. If you find it uncomfortable, I apologize. But like I said, it's not for everyone. Thank you again for the input. Okay. So I'm going to announce, I did promise that I was going to announce like a big surprise and I will but I'm going to do that at the end because I really just want to dive right into this stuff. It's a doozy. It may be multiple parted and I'm excited about it. So, let's get started. For more than a decade, Chester Turner escaped notice amid the largest crime wave in the history of Los Angeles. When killings concentrated primarily in South LA, sometimes type topped 1,000 a year. I knew he had problems, said a longtime friend, but I never thought he would go out and actually kill people. Join us as we discuss the life, the sociopathic tendencies, and the horrific crimes of Chester Turner, also known as the Southside Slayer. Chester Dwayne Turner was born November 5th, 1966 in Warren, Arkansas. He moved to Los Angeles in 1971 when he was five and his parents split up. And when he first moved down there, well, over there, the West Coast, he blended in, sharing a modest one-story bungalow in the 600 block of West Century Boulevard with his mother. His mother owned her own cleaning business, but actually worked two jobs. And Chester was described as a latchkey kid who stuck close to home. Latchkey, I think that means like, I'm like never leaves the house type of thing. But as you will see, he didn't really have a choice. He didn't have a regular childhood. He didn't go anywhere, said a relative who wanted to stay anonymous. He didn't go to the park, the gym. He couldn't because his mother would not let him. He was always at home helping her. A longtime friend even said Turner's mother could be too tough on him as well, locking the food up and making him wait outside until she got home from work. Sidebar. Interruption. Why are you locking the food up? Like, I know he's a growing boy and growing boys like to eat up, eat you up out of a house and home. But 
that's a bit extra. And then making him wait outside, that is extreme, I feel. And I'm sure it went as far as to like any type of weather. You know what I'm saying? Um, even though Callie's pretty, it still rains. It still gets, you know, a little crazy. So don't lock your children out of the home, people. It's kind of not okay. Okay. He attended Hart Junior High, Gumpers, nice, Gumpers Middle School, and Locke High School. It was reported that Chester Turner was called Chester the Molester by his classmates in school. That's funny that they even got that vibe from him in school. And it doesn't really say if it was in high school or middle school or whatever, but either way, as a young adult, they thought you were gross. Apparently, he kept a decent enough relationship with his dad, who went on to remarry and have more children. And I say this because detectives will later claim that Chester claimed his father was very strict and his stepmother used to actually hit him. And he also wasn't allowed to fight back against his half-siblings when they would hit him. So I'm picking up a vibe of like, oh, I was bullied, so now I feel like I have to embarrass others and belittle others. So I'm guessing like that's maybe where his need for control stemmed from. So the 1980s, when this all happened, um, were a violent time. It was the crack epidemic. It was a PCP epidemic. And the city was still freaking the fuck out about the mass murders and serial killings that happened. Well, that began in 1969 when Charles Manson and his followers lost their shit and went and killed Tate and the LeBlanca murders. Um, the Skid Row Slasher, Vaughn Greenwood, terrorized travelers cutting their throats <laughs> as they slept. Holy crap. The Freeway Killer, William Bonin, an unemployed downy truck driver, was convicted of murdering and raping 14 boys and men in Orange and Los Angeles counties in 1979 and 1980. Then, the, then came the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, creepiest guy with somehow super nice teeth convicted in 1989 of 13 horrific, torturous murders. Not to mention LFJ from episode one and two. He started his killing spree in the late 1980s, much like this Cracker Jack Chester. So a lot of killing was going on <laughs> at this time. So people were just like, you know, on super edge and crazy time. What a time to be alive. And then bodies started to pop up along the Figueroa Corridor, a 30-block-long area known for its prostitution, well, wait, for its, quote, prostitution, drugs, and desperation. That's what this article <laughs> said. Wow, desperation? That's a bit harsh. Mind your business. So Turner eventually dropped out of high school and began hanging out with neighborhood kids, portraying himself to be a gang member. Okay, settle down, big guy, settle down. His life then became the shit farm that it is now. So around 1992, Turner began a relationship with a woman named Felicia Collier, who lived across the street from him, actually. And they became friends. They became friends because his mom asked, asked Felicia if she would tutor him because she was like a bookworm. She loved to learn. So she was like, sure, hey, why not? On an episode of Evil Lives Here on the Investigation Discovery Network, 
that was actually released February 10th of this year, 2019, Felicia finally talked about Chester for the first time. Um, I'm going to actually play a clip from the episode where she shows where she has shown a video of Chester. On an episode of Evil Lives Here on the Investigation Discovery Network that was actually released February 10th of this year, 2019, Felicia finally talked about Chester for the first time. Um, I'm going to actually play a clip from the episode where she shows where she has shown a video of Chester. Just listen to her voice. Listen to the fear that she is obviously expressing because of this man. And yeah, so here it comes. We, the jury, in above title action, by the defendant, Chester Dwayne Turner, guilty of the crime of murder. I don't want to see him. I don't want to see no pictures. I don't want to see no photos. I don't want to see no video of him. Because we'll, we can stop. I'll stop right now. Don't do this to me. It's not something that's not normal to go around and talk about this. But nobody want to hear that. And I don't want to tell nobody. My life is over with him. Okay? He's part of my past. Okay? I like to keep that way. I live the first and you will be the last that I'll ever have to do this with. Trust that. I'm never doing this again. If I said ever, ever, because some, it's too painful. It's hurtful. It's embarrassing. So as you could hear, she was like super distraught and clearly traumatized by something that had happened to her and at the hands of this Chester the molester. So she went on to explain in the episode of Evil Lives Here how when Chester first met her, he was extremely attracted to her off rip and was like kind of drawn to her in a way, but she didn't really have those feelings for him. So in high school, she ended up getting pregnant by another guy and had a daughter. Her father was supportive, but her mother was not and kicked her out of the house. Super sad. She didn't have a great relationship with the father of the child. It kind of fizzled out, I'll say, and she needed a place to stay. So Chester and his mom, right across the street, let her come in and move with them or live with them. And apparently they both like loved her. They fucking doted on her, were crazy about her. She brought her daughter, obviously. She even let Chester babysit her daughter while she would work. Chester would brush her daughter's hair, and she said he really just treated her like his own child, which made her fall in love with him. So they started dating. Gross. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't gross at that time, but just gross because I know who this person is now. I'm taking a sip break. Give me a second. Okay. Short, shortly after they started dating... She said, quote, he started changing right before my eyes. She recalled a time that a guy friend from school dropped her home. And he became super crazy with jealousy and put his fist through the wall. This was like the first time I guess she ever saw him being violent. So it kind of like startled her. The guy friend then came up to the door and basically told Chester that he and Felicia were not intimate. They were just friends and that he should never put her hands on her like ever. So she says they were around 16 at that point. 
I can't confirm, like I said, how old he was because he looked 35 in those pictures. And he apologized and said he would never do that shit again. And naturally, she forgave him. Rule number, I don't know, 76, true crime rule maybe. If he hits you once, he will most likely hit your ass again, you guys. So stay safe. No one should be hitting you. No one. So eventually she moved out and got her own place, more so to prove to her parents that she could be independent, um, which is a great idea, girlfriend. But she was still involved with Chester. He didn't live with her, though. So so one night he came to her house with flowers and balloons and all that jazz. And she was smitten by it. She loved surprises. And she was like, oh, my God, Chester, like, thanks. And he requested that he stay the night. So basically, he was like, okay. In the mind of a guy, I'm assuming it's like, if I bring her flowers, if I bring her balloons, if I shower her with kisses and praise and compliments, she'll let me get some. And that's what I'm thinking he was trying to work for with these gifts. So she told him, thanks, love it, love you, but I'm tired and we can just do this another time, like tomorrow night or something. So she said he immediately got angry, stuck his foot in the doorway and would not let her close it. So she's basically telling him, you know, like, move your foot. Like, I I told you we could do this another time. Like, no need to have a fucking cow. So he goes, well, give me my stuff back then, which is kind of proves my point that I said earlier. He brought the gifts to shower her into or manipulate her into giving him what he wanted. So she said she threw the flowers out the door, let go of the balloons, letting them poison the atmosphere. I am trying to be environment conscious, you guys. But yeah, she threw them up, threw them out, let them go, and slammed the door shut. She said later that night he was blowing up her phone and just begging him, begging her to forgive him. And she eventually did. Soon after that, they were expecting a son, whom they would name Christopher. And Chester, she said, was elated about becoming a dad. He was super excited about it. But one day, they were on their way back home from her aunt's house, and she said she could feel something was wrong, like the vibe was off in the car. Um, he (coughs) He then said he heard that she had slept with CJ. And CJ apparently is, like, that token hot guy in the neighborhood that all the girls want and, yeah, fiend for. And she denied it. She said, this is crazy. I wouldn't even do that. She said, people always talk and mess. And then all of a sudden, she said he punched her in the jaw. Like, just stole her off. She replied, oh, my God, and just, like, looked at him super shocked, obviously, because he just punched her he in the face, like, in the jaw. She said he then replied, quote, shut up before I do it again. I'll drive this car right off the cliff. And all of this was happening while her daughter was in the back seat. This is insanity. So Felicia is a pregnant woman a pregnant woman at this time and he is becoming violent with her insane moving forward 
So once they got to the house, he tried to beg her for forgiveness again, but she just ran to her parents' house who lived, you know, across the street from his mother. She ran to her parents' house and just straight upstairs. Her dad went outside to talk to him. This part kind of infuriates me. Telling him that he was a good man and they love each other, but he just can't be hitting on his daughter like that. Like, you know, he just can't be tolerating that. He also suggested to him, he, he posed the question, what type of father would that make you? So I guess this kind of resonated with Chester and he was like, you know what? You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. And that's what Felicia said. She heard him saying while she was upstairs and then he went home. Her dad then came upstairs to check on her and basically tell her that he was a good man that just gets mad sometimes. That is heartbreaking. Her father was siding with the man that was punching her in the face and putting her and her life, her and her daughter's life and her unborn child's life in danger. So that one um, grinded my gears extra. So because her dad liked him so much, she decided to give him another chance. And because she was pregnant with his child, she really wanted the relationship to work, which I can totally understand that, although I've never had a child. I can understand the desire to be a family with the guy that you're, you know, procreating with. So after the birth of their son, Christopher, happy birthday, Christopher, Felicia said his behavior shifted again. He started isolating himself more, spending majority of his time alone in the bathroom, watching a lot of porn, okay? She said he would be in there for hours just watching it by himself. He, I don't know, was, I don't know. First of all, I don't know how you could do that so long without kind of getting raw, but anyway, I digress. Um, she said she would get up at 3 a.m. And this is a pregnant, or no, she's not pregnant anymore. I'm sorry. She's recovering from being, you know, pregnant and giving birth. So she said she would get up at 3 a.m. And he would still be in the bathroom wanking off. And she said the obsession became so creepy for her and gross that she basically, obviously, confronted him about it and he would be really assholey with his answer no surprise to anyone and would say quote I wouldn't have to do it so much if you would have sex with me how heartless can you be this woman just had a baby and if you know anything about having a baby which I know very little but I do know Women have to wait at least six weeks before they start getting it on again. So he is a clearly a projector. My definition of a projector is someone who projects the cause of their bullshit onto other people. And that's what he's doing with his girlfriend right now in the situation. Shortly after that, he started disappearing. She said he always had a routine. He would, you know, go to work, come home from work, do this, do that, play with the baby, just had a set schedule. But all of a sudden, it all just stopped, and he started coming home two or three hours after his normal times, saying excuses that are fucking horrible, honestly, and not original. Like, oh, I had to work late, or oh, I had to go take care of something for work. Just 
loads of crap. And she stayed with him. She stood by him. She was a faithful woman. And he did not deserve her. So, on her first Mother's Day as a mother to Christopher, because remember, she has a little daughter. Now, this is Mother's Day, people. Mother's Day is in May. That's just something I want to point out now. They were supposed to go out, and she's waiting and waiting for him to come. And he's incredibly late. And it's 1 a.m. at this point. And there's still no sign of him. She said all of a sudden there was a knock on the door. And it was Chester the molester with scratches all on his face and hands. Naturally, she asked him what the fuck happened. And his reply was he was in a car accident with a buddy. Mm. She didn't believe his story at all, and neither do I. And she honestly suspected he was cheating on her. So she said she didn't talk to his ass for a couple weeks, which is like, go girl. Couple weeks, that's the grip. I don't think I could do that. But yes, good for you. But then she said they eventually made up (laughs) because he always did something that would make it all better. Okay. But then she said his injuries started getting more serious. One night he showed up at her door with a bloody bandage on his right cheek and some blood on his jacket. He told her that he'd been mugged and that they pulled a knife on him. So she went to treat his injuries like the loyal bit that she was, but saw that he already had stitches in place. So I don't know if he went to the hospital or whatever, like what happened, because she never asked him about that situation. Later, it would be reported that apparently in one stabbing incident, he knifed a childhood friend after the team pulled a weapon on him. So I'm not really sure what happened or, you know, what the cause of what the cause was for the scar on his face that he still has actually to this day that you will see in the pictures on the Instagram page. Hey, (laughs) so Felicia was getting dressed one night to go out. Now he's just escalating at this point. Um, And Chester came up behind her and told her that she looked really pretty and that they should have sex. So she was like, you know, thank you. Love it. Love you. But no, like, you know, I'm going out. Not the time. He kept persisting, just being really aggy about it. And she said no once again. And then he proceeded to attack her. She said he pushed her head down, ripped her clothes off and raped her. I'm so sorry, Miss Felicia. She said throughout this whole ordeal, Her daughter was on the outside of the bathroom door crying and yelling, no, and stop. Could you imagine? I think her daughter may be like, what, four or five at this point? It's just heartbreaking. She said once he was done, he ran out of the bathroom. And then she ran to the bedroom to get her gun and ran outside to shoot his ass. So when she raised her gun to shoot him, a neighbor outside yelled, no, don't do it. He's got the baby in his hands. He's got the baby in his hands, which (laughs) that's just how I I would, I hear the voice in my head. That's how I hear the voice. Um, And lo and behold, he had poor baby Christopher in his hands, holding him. Chester was yelling at Felicia saying that he would be taking the baby, baby and never bringing him back. Um, and hopefully, since there was a lot of neighbors around, I don't know who called the police because Felicia didn't, but someone did because the police showed up, showed up and surrounded his ass. 
Chester ended up giving the baby back, well, giving the baby to police, who then gave the baby back to Felicia. And then they arrested Chester. So he was arrested, but her piece of, I'm not going to come for your father, but this decision that he made was really, really, really shitty. He said, don't press charges. You got the baby back, and that's all you should be happy about. So the fact that he raped her should not be prosecuted or addressed. Okay, Father Collier, okay. So she kept her mouth shut, but she did end the relationship this time, which I'm like, thank you, girl. Thank you for getting out of that because he probably definitely would have ended up killing you. After he was released, <coughs> uh, <clears throat> sorry, yeah, after he was released from police custody, she met up with him to try to figure out a way for him to still be a father. She even suggested that he could see the, his son every two weeks. Super manageable, super fair, I think, for that type of situation. And he said he would be cool with that, but he wanted her too. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I hear this, this, I hear this agreement you're trying to work out, and I don't agree with it because it doesn't include you. Like a crazy controlling man. Unsurprisingly, she was like, hell no. And her dad finally stepped in and in like a deep voice was like, leave her alone, you know, like Chester. You're not welcome around here anymore. She doesn't want you. Things of that nature. You're not a good man anymore. So Chester calmly replied, yes, sir, and left. So I just feel like when crazy people are calm, that means they're about to snap and do some crazy ass shit. So that kind of gives you a little foreshadow information. Felicia would then find a brick thrown in her front window of her car. Then she would receive a phone call from Chester saying, I'm going to kill you. So he's not very, he's not being very subtle at this point. He's pissed and he's aggressive and he's ready to do something. He then proceeded to, har har to harass her with phone calls threatening her and her family's lives and how much he would enjoy killing them and just really crazy stuff. She ended up contacting the police, actually. But they basically told her that since no one had been, quote, shot or stabbed, they couldn't do anything for her, which is like, okay. Are we trying? Like, we're not in the policemen out there, if you're listening. We are also in the preventative business. I'm not a policeman, so it's not we. You guys are also in the preventative business. So we're trying to prevent people from getting stabbed and shot. Do you feel me? Do you hear me? Okay. I'm hoping you are. So for a little while after that, things calmed down because apparently Chester found himself a little girlfriend. He had a new chicola on his side. Felicia even met her, the new girl, and allowed them to have her son on occasion. So she was really feeling like things were on the up and up. He had somebody else to be crazy about and he's done with me. But then shortly after this, Felicia would get in her car one morning and start driving, push down on her brakes, and would be unable to stop. 
She called her brother out to the scene, and when they looked under the car, they saw that brake fluid was leaking everywhere. And at that point, she said she had no clue who would cut her brakes. Which, okay, I'm saying it in a condescending way, but I can understand that because they were on good terms. She was letting him have the son more alone with his new girl. There was no threatening calls anymore. He wasn't threatening to kill her or her family anymore. So I can see why she thought things may have gotten better. But he is Chester the molester and people like that may have 0.02% of changing in such a short amount of time. So a month later, it happened again. She then called Chester, you guys. She called Chester and asked him to help her fix it. He told her that she would really, she should really start being careful and get, a, get an alarm put on her car, which kind of had me like confused because I was like, hmm, if he's the one doing it, why would he suggest she put an alarm on her car? But then again, I don't know if alarms work for people that are working under your car cutting your stuff. It only kind of works if they're trying to get in. So, yeah. Maybe he was trying to be slick. All I know is Chester did it. I know it in my heart. I know it in my soul. <sighs> so, at this point, she started walking around strapped, okay? She was like, somebody's coming for me. Somebody's gunning for me. They're putting my children's lives in danger. I have to protect myself. So one fateful day, she was walking up to her mom's house. And remember, this house is across the street from Chester's mom's house. And he was there being super aggressive, telling her that they needed to talk. She was like, nah, that's not cool. I don't want to talk to you. And so he rolls his fist up. And at this point, she's like, I honestly thought I saw something in his hand. So when he stepped forward toward her, you know, to like lunge at her, I'm guessing, she pulled the little gun out of her back pocket. She said it was a really small one. And she closed her eyes and she shot at him six or seven times. Just pa 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 pa. Yeah, like not playing any games. So for some reason, all the articles that I found regarding this incident said that it was a friend, like a family friend of Felicia's that shot him, which is super weird because in this documentary, she just admitted that it was her. So I don't know. The media, you know, can't trust everything. Some things are fake news. Says our president. Okay. So I don't know why that said why that was like that, but maybe she just decided to come out now. Um, because at the time that this happened, she said the police said that if he did die from it, she would be considered for murder. You know what I'm saying? She would be charged with murder. So since he ended up surviving and they investigated their past and the extensive history between Felicia Chester and the LAPD. The DA considered the shooting to be self-defense. Felicia admits that at the time she didn't want him to die. Probably a little bit of self-preservation. Probably a little bit of caring about him. But she also said that if she did kill him, she would have saved a lot of people a lot of pain. So after Chester was shot, he was shot in his abdomen and spent the next six weeks in the hospital recovering. After he got out, he showed up on her porch again and tried to speak with her and see Christopher. She ignored the shit out of him this time, and she said she never saw him again. <sighs> so during the 11 years when the slayings occurred, Turner moved often. 
bouncing between prisons, skid row missions, which are kind of like homeless shelters, um, girlfriend's apartments, and the home of his mother and grandfather. During that time, he fathered three more children. Papa was a rolling stone, okay? He was also in and out of prison because he was a total creep and a fucking criminal. For various convictions, including theft and drug possession, assaulting an officer, and even animal cruelty. Now, I wish I could have found more information about the animal cruelty situation, but I couldn't. And I'm really pissed off because I would have laid it on his ass even harder than I already planned to throughout this whole thing. So, sorry about that. None of this fit the stereotypical profile of a serial rapist killer. Which is kind of like, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. According to an LAPD cold case detective, Cliff Shepard, he said, quote, his arrests were not what we expected. I was expecting someone with an extensive rap sheet, especially for sexual assaults. Weird. Okay. Okay, even though I know theft and drug possession, those aren't violent charges, question mark, but assaulting an officer, animal cruelty, yeah, those are violent. So, yeah, whatever. Like, I get it. I get it. But also, no, I'm not going to spill those beans yet. No more spoilers throughout this whole thing. I promise. So to this day, nobody, and I mean nobody, not the families of victims, not the prosecutor or cops, none of them understand why he began his reign of terror. Although I do have an idea as to why he did do this. And I will share that close to the end of this episode series. Because spoiler alert, I lied, there is one more spoiler. Spoiler alert, this will definitely be a multiple episode case. So. Like many active killers at the time, like LFJ, Chester targeted high-risk victims, a.k.a. the junkies, the prostitutes, the homeless people, kind of, you know, just the, the, the lower class, if you will, the people that people don't really care about, which is wrong, but nonetheless the truth. Okay. So Chester Turner committed his first murder on in March 1987, it was a young girl, unfortunately, Miss Diane Johnson. She was 21 years old, and her body was found strangled, sexually assaulted, and dumped partially nude along the 110 freeway. At this time, Chester was working as a Domino's pizza delivery guy, and he was only 20 years old. Holy cow. The second one came. Three months later, on June 5th, 1987, the body of 33-year-old mother, Alondra Bunn, was found by an 11-year-old boy in a trash can near 98th and Figueroa Streets. Lisa Shinen, the county medical examiner at the time, testified that the autopsy showed that Bunn had suffered two battered and bloody eyes, abrasions and lacerations on her head, bruises on her neck, as she was strangled, and bruises and lacerations over her legs and torso. She said Turner wrenched the victim's neck, which I'm not really sure what a wrench means. Maybe it's like, put like a big like crick in it, like a, like a crook, 
I don't know. Like, I don't know. And she said it was probably caused by violently shaking her head back and forth as he raped and strangled her. Oh, my God. Rest in peace, Miss Alondra Bunn. Four months later, on October 29th, 1987, Annette Ernest, a 26-year-old young and troubled mother, was found dead, face down, partially nude, along the dirt shoulder near Grand Avenue and 106th Street. This was only three blocks away from where Miss Diane Johnson's body was discovered. So you can kind of see that he is developing maybe a favorite spot to dump or something of that nature. All three women were violated and killed in identical ways. And Chester would go on to commit six more known murders, all within a four block wide corridor that ran on either side of Figueroa street between Gage Avenue and 108th street. So a four block wide space that he used to dump what? 10 bodies like that's insane guys the balls on this guy that's what i'm saying he's sociopathic sociopaths don't try to hide their craziness they don't try to hide how they feel they don't try to like psychopaths psychopaths try to imitate or mirror true human emotion because they don't they're not capable of showing it but sociopaths don't really care if you <laughs> don't really care how they come off they just do their thing so Hence, sociopathic Chester the Molester. And one tantalizing clue missed until much later, obviously, because I didn't necessarily know about the situation. The killings halted for a time after a violent fight between Chester and his girlfriend, Felicia, during which Felicia shot Chester in the abdomen. So remember we talked about that earlier? Yeah. Kind of just confirms what Miss Felicia said. He was, in fact, killing while they were together. Full body chills. Shout out to crime junkies. Freaked out. Okay. So there was a task force put together in 1986, like I talked about in the first two episodes on LFJ's case. And they were kind of put together to find out who's killing all of these high-risk victims. Um, and they obviously did not do a very good job because it was put together in 1986 and it was disbanded in 1988 because basically they had just not many leads to go on. The task force started with 50 full-time investigators and it was dwindled down within a year, it was dwindled down to 17 um, I found also in an article that the task force was put together to actually try to start solving murders that went all the way back to 1983. So before LFJ's known timeline, before Chester's known timeline, just, yeah. So it's kind of scary to think that there are more victims out there. There are more serial killers out there that just were not caught because, Lack of resources, like lack of evidence, just things of that nature. Scary. So in early January 1989, Anita Fishman was actually a Caucasian lady. So it kind of differed from his normal demographic and like ethnicity wise. However, she was battling homelessness and drug addiction, which hits it right on the nail. And 
she disappeared. She disappeared. She was 31 when she disappeared. And two weeks later, a group of elementary school boys found her badly decomposed body behind a mattress in an alley near the 9800 block of South Figueroa Street in Vermont Vista. (sighs) Okay, so when the officers got out there, they found, actually, they saw a wood panel door leaning diagonally against like a detached garage and they found her body behind that door. Her sister, Susan Solzbach, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, was busy raising her five children, but had tried to help her sister, you know, multiple times. Of course, she loved her. And unfortunately, her sister was addicted to crack. She says with regret, we just couldn't help her. She had no self-esteem or no self-worth. That breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. You were beautiful, Miss Anita Fishman. I wish someone told you. I wish you believed it. It's just pulls on my heartstrings. How dare anyone say that I don't care or show respect? This stuff gets to me. So nine months later, Regina Washington, who was six and a half months pregnant, was found hanging by an electrical cord inside the detached garage of a vacant home in the 8800 block of South Figueroa Street. And this was on September 23rd, 1989. She was pregnant, you guys. And like when I when I saw this, when I first read this, it really made me think back to how he was so, he started getting really aggressively violent with Felicia once she was pregnant. So it kind of made me think, well, maybe he was thinking that he was killing Felicia in a way, or I don't know. Because this, okay. I'm queen of spoilers, and I'm sorry, guys. I have to be who I am. Spoiler alert, this will not be the only pregnant woman that he kills. So, clearly, Chester, the molester, was growing more vicious, but still no pattern emerged to the lead police to lead police to him. He was, in fact, busily training at this time while he was committing all these worker murders to be a manager at Domino's. So he's moving on up in his career and he's moving on up in his viciousness. So one's good, one's fucking horrible. Okay. But in late 1991, the very first inkling of Turner's sexual deviance surfaced. He was arrested for lewd conduct, masturbating in front of a crossing guard. Super weird. And when I say crossing guard, it makes me think it was close to that elementary school where he dumped the body of Miss Anita Fishman. And if it was near school, he's a freaking creeper times 106. Gross. But it happened. So released in fall 1992, within hours, he was again arrested for (laughs) indecent exposure. And then was released from custody that same night. So he's just getting super bold at this point, you guys. He's he's feeling himself. He wants to literally pull his dick out on people and show them what he's working with. So I'm guessing his confidence is through the roof at this point. Three weeks later, the body of Tammy Christmas was found next to a portable classroom at Bear, which I think is like a a trailer. You know how we had like those trailers that were like in the back of the school that people would have class in? Yeah, I think that's kind of what it was. At Barrett Elementary School on West 98th Street, 
And it was a horrifying incident for the school, I'm sure, but it wouldn't be their last. Deborah Williams' body was found also on a stairwell at the same school on November 16th. Exactly one month later, December 16th, 1992, the body of Miss Mary Edwards was discovered near a rundown hotel adjacent to the school. So like super close to it. Um, all these sites were within walking distance of Turner's home. Turner's Chester, the molester. Can't believe it, you guys. Like I said, he's getting ballsy. He's like, yeah, I do this thing. This is what I do. And the police are so stupid, they will never figure out it's me. So, yeah. Spoiler alert, they do figure out it's him. Okay. Four months later, in April 1993, Miss Andrea Triplett vanished, last seen getting into a small brown car with a black male. On April 2nd, a construction worker discovered Triplett's partially nude body in the yard. She had been strangled and sexually assaulted like the others, and she was five and a half months pregnant. So that's a sad thing. It just really breaks my heart because his babies have, you know, no control over this. Um, unlike Miss Regina Washington's murder, the county office or the, I don't know, the law, whatever, they considered that baby because it was six and a half months to be a murder as well. They did an autopsy on the baby and it showed that the baby died because of the strangulation of the mother. But with Miss Andrea, because her baby was only five and a half months old and or five and a half month old fetus because it wasn't born, California law specified that at the time, five and a half month old fetuses were not considered viable, so it wasn't considered an actual murder. Even though it was. Even though it was. Just over a month later, on May 16th, 29-year-old Desiree Jones was found in a backyard of a vacant residence in the 6800 block of Estrella Avenue in Vermont, Slauson. She was half-naked, assaulted, and strangled as well. To the Los Angeles media, deaths like that of Desiree Jones did not stand out. Um, but to Desiree's brother, Frank, she was worth remembering. He said she was a sister who was smart, outgoing, and funny, working at a rest home for the elderly before she succumbed to her drug problem. So I did a little, like, deeper looking, deeper investigating so remember how Felicia claimed that Chester was supposed to take her out to celebrate Mother's Day one year, like the first year that she was a mother to Christopher? Well, I looked up what day Mother's Day was in 1993, and it was Sunday, May 10th, 1993, which is six days before Desiree's body was found. It is a super, super close window because I don't know exactly when like what time she was killed or what time her body was found. So just me speculating. And besides the concrete proof we have that Chester had been killing as early as 1987, Felicia was definitely still with this man while he was killing, like we said earlier. And could have possibly, and he could have possibly killed Desiree Jones hours, shit, maybe even minutes before showing up at Felicia's house. Because remember, he had that blood, blood on his jacket. So... Yeah, guys, you never know. You never know. It's craziness. Craziness. 
around 1994, police say new girlfriend, Maria Condon, Condon, something close to that. Sorry if I pronounced it wrong. Moved with Chester Turner to Salt Lake City, where his mother had moved. Felicia's interview corroborated this when she said that she was told he got a new girlfriend and he even stopped making harassing phone calls and stuff to her. There he worked at a homeless shelter and at a fast food restaurant, but soon found yet another girlfriend, like I said, Rolling Stone, Annie Bell, and returned to L.A. The body count increased when on February 12, 1995, Natalie Price, 31 years old, was found dead outside a crack house in the 500 block of West 8th Street in Vermont Knowles. So let's take a look at that, you guys. While he was in Utah, we don't know if he could have been killing there because I feel like the type of person that Chester is, it's very likely that he could have just continued to kill. So he may have a higher body count than we know, which is also really scary and unfortunate for the victims. Goodness gracious. I wish, you know, I wish departments work together a little more. Anyway, I digress. That's not what I'm here to talk about. So police say his last known murder victim in his original South LA environment, before he moved downtown and started killing women there, was 45-year-old Mildred Beasley, who was married and had a teenage son. She had, mo- she had moved to LA only eight weeks earlier, two months earlier from Texas, when her partially bought partially nude body was found in the 9600 block of South Broadway on November 6, 1996. In early 1998, he was living in a downtown hotel called the Regal Hotel when he lured a 38-year-old mentally ill traveler named Paula Vance to a walkway next to an office building. Horribly, he brutally raped her and strangled her and This happened on February 3rd, 1998. Then, just over two months later, on April 6th, 1998, Brenda Bryce, or Bries, I'm sorry if I pronounced this stuff wrong, you guys, give me a break, was found dead in a portable bathroom near Little Tokyo. A ligature tight around her neck, so it was still, still there, I'm believing. Brenda was just 50 yards away from the Regal Hotel, the same hotel that Chester Turner was staying in. Guys, 50 yards, that's 150 feet. That's like your house is probably, I hope so, your house is bigger than 150 feet. Your apartment, actually, is bigger than, it has more than 150 feet. So just think about how close that is in proximity. Wild. The ball's on this guy. So continuing on on his deranged and crazy murder spree on St. Patrick's Day of 2002 Chester the molester attacked and raped a woman who unlike the others found a way to fight back yes queen even though it was probably the scariest situation of her entire life (laughs) so although Turner was registered in 2000 as a sex offender for the lewd conduct remember we talked about that The Midnight Mission allowed Chester Turner to work as a security guard. Big mistake. As part of a drug rehabilitation program for cocaine abuse. 
So yeah, he was a cocaine user. Like this man was toe up. Anyway, so Miss Maria, Miss Queen, yes, Queen, she actually was suffering too. She was an admitted drug dealer and addict, and she met him at the mission where she took cigarettes or sold cigarettes to feed her habit, and she took her showers there and all that type of stuff. Chester Turner later told police he called her the cigarette lady. In March 2002, Turner sexually assaulted Maria for approximately two hours, you guys. Attacked her for two hours and threatened to kill her if she told the police. After the attack and still in in shock, she walked to the LAPD's nearby Central Division station thinking, quote, I could take refuge until he leaves. But when she tried to report the rape, the front desk cops saw little more than a street person with a wild accusation, and they just told her to sit and wait. So feeling just shunned, feeling small, feeling less than, she decided to just go back to where she was living on Boyd Street. So an administrator at the mission named Carrie Gatlin actually convinced Maria to go back and file a police report. She was really insistent on it. She was like, yeah, you need to go and you need to report this. This is not okay. You do matter, Miss Thang, and I'll go with you type of thing. So Maria was able to not only make the police report, she pressed charges And Maria would later testify against Chester Turner in court, where he would be convicted on October 1st, 2002. Chester Turner was sentenced to eight years in prison for the rape of Miss Maria. And for this situation, he had to, I guess, submit DNA. So before this happened, he... he, pled no contest to this actually and a part of his no contest deal he decided to submit a dna sample and with that dna sample they were able to see that yes he was in fact the person that attacked miss maria and they got their conviction that dna sample will come in really really heavy and really really important on our next episode. <laughs> do you like how I did that? Hey, do you like my segue? Hey, yeah. My segue into that? Yeah. So this is the end of the first episode regarding Chester Turner. Next episode, we're going to go over the investigation. We're going to go over wrongful convictions, possibly, maybe, and the ending of this case. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, for listening, for finishing the episode, for making it this far. I really appreciate you. If you liked it, do me a favor and give us a five-star rating on Apple Music. And if you have two seconds, go ahead and write us a review. It really helps me with creating and giving you guys what you like. Also, if you hated it, write a review because that also helps me in some ways. (laughs) So be honest and be brave. I can handle it. Important things before we go. Patreon is coming. This is the big announcement. Well, it's not huge, but it is pretty impressive that I was going to tell you guys in the first episode. So here it goes. 
when Patreon is launched, when I do launch the different levels, I will be providing a new segment called Deep Dives. And this segment is basically where we just take a deeper look into the lives of the victims. I know I don't do that much in the episodes. I don't give too much backstory regarding the victims. And there's a reason for that, you guys. Deep Dives deep dives is the reason. <laughs> so if you guys have anyone specific you want me to cover, it has to be from one of the episodes that I've already done or will do in the future. If you listen to this at a weird time, um, <laughs> then whoa, let me know. DM me. I'll let you guys know when Patreon is available. I'll send out something like on Instagram and post it on the Facebook page. So just look out for those things. IG shout out. Yeah, that's my little thing. <laughs> my little thing from now on for it. Let's get into it. I'm excited. Number one at spotlight underscore investigations underscore LLC. What's up, you guys? Thanks for joining us. Number two at social media for podcasts. Very straightforward. I probably need to use your services. Thank you guys for the follow. Number three, at podcast underscore writer. They write podcasts (laughs) and they focus on true crime podcasts, which is pretty cool. Number four, at Shiloh Blake. Hey there. Hey girl. Welcome. Number five, at Miss Sherelle. I honestly think I already shouted you out. It sounds so familiar. If I did, awesome, you got to. If I didn't, hey girl, thanks for the follow. Number six, at Sarah Speed X3. Hey, Sarah, thanks for gracing me with your follow. Number seven, at Blue4558. What's going on? Blue is my fourth favorite color, so... Thanks for hitting that blue button and following me. (laughs) Number eight, at Sally underscore Danielle. Hey, girl. Welcome. Thank you. Number nine, at Rima Matthewson. Matthew with one T. Hey, girl. My boyfriend actually spells his first name Matthew with one T. So I feel like we're here and I'm doing like the two finger you to me eye thing since you can't see me. And last but not least, at Rhonda0731. If that's standing for your birthday, July 31st, my birthday is July 21st, so share birthday month, girl. And Rhonda is actually one of my favorite names to say. I usually say it like Rhonda. So, hey, thanks for the follow. Thank all of you guys for adding me. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. I appreciate you guys umpteenth um, umpteenth amounts for making it this far. And I hope you had an amazing time here at Black True Crime. And I will see you guys later. (laughs) You have a right to kill me. I have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me.